the first scripture reading this morning, I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, who you would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, the one who is troubling you, will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to welcome each of you here um, in Christ's name, especially if this is not your regular place of worship. We welcome you to join with us as we worship Christ. As we look at uh, a passage of scripture this morning, we are in 1 Peter 4. Um, we'll give a, a little bit of background. I think there's some um, unplanned background in that Brother Steve uh, preached from Job on the subject of suffering, and we end up here in 1 Peter considering a very similar subject. 
We also, as we are going through 1 Peter, uh, talked um, three weeks ago about suffering as well, about spiritual suffering. And this week, um, I think the title in your bulletin says, The Christian Living in Grace. Um, I'm actually planning to split verses 1 through 6, take care of those this morning, and then catch 7 to 11 um, in, in three weeks. And I'd like to subtitle this morning, Fighting Sin, Christ's Way. Fighting Sin, Christ's Way. The passage that Brother Jason read spoke about what the man of sin looks like and then spoke about the fruits of the Spirit and spoke about living with Christ's Spirit in us and the effect that that will have. This morning our passage calls us away from an idealism of life that says you won't suffer, that you should avoid suffering, that you should run away from suffering. Our world tells us that you can have a good life, that you can avoid suffering by taking these pills and that pills and going on this diet and doing this exercise regime. You can avoid suffering. If you've spent time with humans, any of them, you know that this is not true. If you've gotten close to people other than yourself, you know that the human condition is marked by suffering. And could it be that especially in the life of the Christian, suffering is meant to kill the sin that is in each of us? To kill the desires of the flesh, or as the passage says, the human passion, that war against the Spirit. I'd like to consider that this morning. I'd like to read our passage. We are 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is God's Word. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, 
as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this is your word, and as we interact with it this morning, may you speak to us through it and through your spirit. May it call us away from our selfish desires. May it call us away from what is normal for us. And may we be called to your way and your will. We pray this through Christ. We must remind ourselves uh, before we begin what the first chapter of Peter tells us. And the first verse in the book tells us that we are the chosen sons of God. That as Christians, that we are God's children. And it's within this status as the children of God that we think about fighting sin. That we think about pushing back against our nature. The sin nature that is born in every son or daughter of Adam. Some questions we would ask ourselves is, how is one to cease from sinning? Is sin just a part of humanity that we just put up with until we die and then it's gone? Should a Christian be concerned about sin in his life? I think very clearly he should. But if so, how should he work in the earthly body to combat the persistence of sin? J.I. Packer says, Christians often imagine themselves to be strong, healthy, and holy. But the way to health is to recognize that we are weak and sick and sinful. We don't like to think of ourselves that way. We don't like to be sick and sinful. We prefer to be healthy and holy We like to think of ourselves in that way. Part of that is I think we often don't understand the true nature of sin. The word sin here in verse 1 simply means to act contrary to the will and law of God. And often we agree with that, but we just see that in the big things, the big sins our struggles with our selfishness, our struggles with the sin that easily besets us and that's different for all of us. We don't necessarily see that as a big deal. The, the big, massive, catastrophic nuclear sins, now those we worry about and those we attempt to avoid, but is that really all sin is, just the, the big ones? No, sin is to act contrary to the will and law of God in any way 
minute or massive, it doesn't matter. Little sin, big sin, it's all sin. Anything, anything that strays from the will and law of God is sin. And so we come to the realization, if we consider that, and we consider simply the last 24 hours of our life in the ways that we have transgressed the perfect will and law of God, we realize that we are, as Packer says, weak and sick and sinful. I think part of us ignoring that has more to do with uh, us worrying about what other people think more than we worry about what God thinks and what God sees. So we know we can hide the little stuff from everybody around us. We can tuck that in, but we can't tuck that in from God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that. So when we come to that realization, what do we do? How do we fight against sin? Now, I think there's multiple ways, but our passage here gives us, I think, one of the primary means of battling sin. And it's found in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Referring to Christ. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking as Christ. And then that simply asks the next question. What was Christ's way of thinking? What is this way that Christ thinks or acts that we are to put on to battle sin? And in speaking about what Christ is thinking, he's referring specifically to since Therefore, Christ suffered. And we can return back to chapter 3, verse 18. Christ also suffered. There is no gospel story. There is no redemption without a significant amount of suffering. The imagery and death of the imagery of death and suffering as the means of attaining life, are central to the understanding of the gospel. In chapter 3, I think in the latter part there, points out that baptism is an image of that. That we are buried with Christ in death and we are raised in newness of life in the resurrection. But to gain a resurrected life, one must endure suffering. Well, the suffering here can simply mean human suffering, which Christ did endure. But it also points to a suffering of death, or a suffering that results in death. So we'll look at it in those two ways. If we look at Christ's suffering, how did he suffer? First of all, he suffered rejection. Isn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son, said the people of Nazareth? as they attempted to hurl him off the cliff? Isn't this just a normal one of us? And he says he's the Messiah? He's a crazy man. 
He was rejected by those he cared for most. The final act of rejection by his people was when they shouted, crucify him. The other ways he suffered was that of temptation. We don't normally think of that in, in Christ enduring temptation as we did, or do we see our temptation as suffering? It says that Christ was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. His 40 days in the desert with Satan tempting him with bodily satisfaction in food, social satisfaction in wealth and power. Far more temptation than I think any of us would be able to withstand. And finally, the suffering of death, the most cruel death. But yet Christ, as he spoke about his upcoming death, said, no man forces this upon me. No man is making me go to the cross. I'm not doing this under the compulsion of other people. I lay it down. I choose the path of suffering, the path that leads to death. And so this suffering, or this accepting of coming suffering, as Christ did, is presented here in 1 Peter as a means of rooting out sin's power over us. Not as a method, uh, this much suffering for this amount of time, this much pain equals salvation. Not as a method, but as something not to be avoided. Something not to be skirted by in our life. Something to be assumed. Something to be anticipated. As we've mentioned, we hate suffering. Our natural bend is to avoid it at all costs. Our description of suffering is normally fairly minor. If you ask us what suffering is, we can come up with some pretty low-level stuff and call that suffering. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that as much as anybody. Um, I think we're all products of, of the American Entitlement Society where you know, I undo many things, and when I'm not, that's suffering. I think there's been multiple times in the last couple months where people have uh, pulled a gun and fired it over a wrong food order. Um, the horror of that suffering. We could talk about the frivolous lawsuits that lower the threshold of what we call suffering. I think at the core of our running away from suffering is that we prefer to maintain our own comfort. We, we like the nice life. Also, I think we view suffering as Job's friends did. If one suffers, they're punished. Just, they deserved it. And we say to ourselves, if I'm to suffer, I don't deserve to suffer. Why would I deserve to suffer? I've done nothing wrong. Suffering is in fact used of God to root out 
our sin. There's a couple ways that I think this passage shows that. Verse 2, suffering reveals the silliness of our human passions. Again, if we're honest with ourselves, we can get pretty crazy over some pretty insignificant things in the light of eternity. Often, we act in sinful ways to protect these passions. When you see our passions rising positively for something, negatively against something, it's there that we should ask ourselves, is this anger, is this desire based on human passion? Or is it based in the will of God? So for me, um, the whole anger while driving thing is something I have to continually fight. Um, I find myself always there. You know, why are you going slow in the left lane? Green means go, not ease away from the stoplight. And bikes are for bike paths, not roads. Roads are for cars. I don't want anyone interrupting my comfort, my style. And when they do, the human passions are aroused. The interesting thing for me is that when I'm hurting or when I'm at peace with life, I can actually be a pretty slow driver and don't really care. It only matters when I'm on the go and I have to be somewhere and the schedule is on the line. And then the human passions take over. That is living for human passion. The real question is, is how insignificant is that 30 seconds? That 30 seconds in the light of eternity. Again, whatever gives rise to your human passion, whether positive or negative, is a place that you should consider carefully what you are pursuing. When something has the capability of engaging you, there's a time to consider carefully the will of God in it. The second thing that suffering does is it causes sin to lose its allure. Verse 1, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This isn't saying that if you suffer, then you'll no longer sin. It's simply saying that sin loses its mastery. Sin loses its control, its domination of us. We know from Romans 6 that we are never without sin, but, we are, but here we cease to be mastered by it. Suffering has a unique way of clearly portraying what is truly valuable in our lives. The unexpected suffering of your mother clearly reminds you that life is short and that eternity matters. The death of a toddler suffering from a crippling disease reminds us that our world is broken. Being made to suffer shame for standing up for God's principles causes us to be certain of our faith and hope. And the promise of spiritual suffering for standing on the truth of God's will is real in our lives. In our world today, Five years ago, I would say we're not quite there. Today, to stand up for the truth of God's word 
is to get a target put on your back. If you are willing to suffer, if you have counted the cost and chosen to suffer, sin's allure becomes dim as your real values are revealed. Romans 6 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. As we consider suffering, I think one of the problems we Western Christians face is that not many of us have suffered the kind of personal suffering that does this sin-killing powerfully. You think about the brothers that uh, Brother Rob talked about who are, who are being called out for their faith, who are, being, who are suffering tremendously in the face of their faith. It forces you to be completely honest with who you are and what you truly stand for. And I think our problem as Americans is we just don't face that very often. If you look at the persecuted church, there's often a, a radical holiness that is present with it. When what you believe is caged with clear lines of suffering, you tend to believe it much more strongly. Most of us can come here to church and what we believe does not call for our life. I'm not going to face persecution, hopefully, for preaching this sermon. Maybe from you all, but um, you know, nobody's going to come in here and drag us away. There's, there's nothing, there's no skin on the line. We Western Christians can easily appear as a believer without much investment. So the question is, is how then do we handle this idea of suffering as a tool of sin killing? And here, I think, are two practical ways. First, stay close to those who are suffering. Empathy with a suffering person has a way of making our human passions meaningless. Suffering alongside a brother or sister reminds us of what is real. And seeing the suffering of our world without Christ makes Him far more glorious in our lives. I heard a gentleman talking about uh, being in a, a far country, in an area where the light of the gospel had not shined, a language he couldn't speak. And thinking of the utter and complete lack of ability that he had to do anything about it. That here were people that were living and dying without the gospel and there was, even though he was there, he couldn't speak to them. He couldn't give them a Bible. There's nothing he could do. And in that setting, we see how precious the gospel is to us in our life. 
Secondly, verse 1 tells us to arm ourselves. And the ammunition against sin that we are to load in our sin-killing gun is that Christ suffered for sin. As you struggle against sin, consider Christ suffering on your behalf. Your sin's penalty is born in His body on the cross. The pain and suffering clearly on His face is due to your sin. The blood dropping to the ground bears your sin. So we meditate on the price our sin cost our Savior. It will cause us to do two things. Either we will turn away and ignore Him, or we will repent. And turn from our sin. When sin calls, consider the suffering on the cross. R.C. Sproul says, Make every effort to arm yourself with Christ's manner of thinking so that you will be willing to suffer rather than to do evil. Make every effort to arm yourself with Christ's manner of thinking so that you would be willing to suffer rather than to do evil. In conclusion, let's consider verse 6. And this is why the gospel was preached to those who are dead. Those who are dead, those who were dead, are us. We who are recipients of the gospel are recipients not simply for the eternal salvation of our souls, but that we might live in the Spirit the way God does. We're not simply saved as a fire escape from hell. We're saved to live. We who are dead in sin's disgrace may walk in newness of life. We the rebels, the sinners, by the power of the gospel are given life. Not the human passion life. Not the finding yourself life. But life as God intended it to be. To live not for human passion, but for the will of God. As you consider your struggle with sin, three questions I think we should ask ourselves. Am I willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Does the real answer to that question affect my desire for sin and self? Is what I'm doing chasing after the will of God or am I trapped by my human passions? Am I living as one purchased by the Savior's suffering on the cross? Does my life demonstrate the power of the gospel? 
Does my life show as one willing to suffer as Christ did on my behalf? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we recognize that we often value our human passions above what is your will. We often value ourselves over others. We often avoid suffering as a means of protecting ourselves, as a means of maintaining our comfort. But Father, we also see Christ and how that was not His way. That He chose to suffer on our, on our behalf. Father, may You give us the power of Your Spirit to accept suffering. To see it not as discomfort, but to see it as your way of working your good work in our heart and in our lives. Help us to be close to those who are suffering. And help us to not be ashamed of your gospel in our hearts and to those around us. May you do your good work in our hearts. We pray this through Christ. Amen.